If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. God wants to finish the story. And the very thing that we would love, He enfolds in Himself all that would bring joy and life and peace to us. Welcome to Keep the Main Thing podcast of sermons and messages from Pastor Leland Evenson. I'm Mark Evenson. It's become pretty standard for many pastors today to take their sermons out 30 to 40 minutes, maybe because in many churches there's not a great deal of formality or tradition, no liturgy, choirs, maybe even an offering not being collected. Consequently, a pastor has the time, maybe the obligation to speak longer Pastor Lee kept most of his talks to 20 to 25 minutes. There were two reasons why I think that was the case. Number one, having to do with what I just mentioned, contrary to today, a typical Lutheran church service back 30 years ago had a number of things going on. Remember when they passed out bulletins so we could keep it all straight? There was a liturgy, a choir, maybe a baptism, several hymns sung by the congregation, an offering taken. There was a lot of elements and participation that went into each Sunday service. The second reason has to do with the fact that Pastor Lee liked to stay in lockstep with the Lutheran Church's calendar and the gospel and epistle readings for that Sunday. His sermons were almost always based on the gospel verses read that Sunday. So he did not want to or need to venture too far off topic in order to expand or fill time allotted for his message. He aptly accomplished his mission in less than a half an hour. Today's sermon from Pastor Lee is from December 1986. It is titled, When Life Turns Around. It is a noteworthy message on repentance, and he makes some really great points. That by nature we are heading the wrong way because we live in a sinful world. He has an interesting comment. He says, we're asking the right questions but getting the wrong answers. And of course, he's going to give you three points to help you remember the major points of the sermon. One of the biggest characteristics of the sermon, but certainly not the only time he has done this, is that he shares with the congregation a number of his own struggles with sin that he has had to repent from. He in fact makes the point that all of us need to look at repentance as a daily practice, maybe repenting as much as 20 to 30 times per day. It is very clear that he has a lot of passion around our struggle with sin. His deep concern for everyone is very apparent. And he is willing to share the fact that he is sitting in the same boat with us which makes this even that much more impactful. It is a very passionate 25 minutes. Here is When Life Turns Around by Pastor Leland Evenson. A few weeks ago, you happened to come in the back door, you saw some teenagers standing around a fire. They were burning some records and some tapes, some pictures, some magazines, things that reminded them of an old way of life. 
And in a very real way, in their own way, and I hope that's simply the beginning for them, in, in terms of understanding repentance. Repentance means to change your mind. And they change their mind. For many of them, and we hope more of them, Jesus is becoming a reality. And so they would change their mind about the music they were listening to, about the pictures on their wall, they saw them differently, about the magazines they were reading. And that's what repentance is about. It's to change your mind. The metanoia means to change your mind to, about God, about yourself, about others, about work, about marriage, about how you use your time or your energy or your money. It's a whole new outlook. We understand it in the right way. There's a need for by nature we're going in the wrong direction. By nature we're asking maybe the right questions, but we're coming up with the wrong answers. There's a book that has been written uh, quite a number of years ago, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. And uh, a lot of people were puzzled how a nation like Germany, who was very literate, very educated, progressive, they could turn over their youth and their money uh, uh, and really everything to the government. Arnold Toynbee, uh, he couldn't understand it. He's a great historian. And uh, some of you may have read some of his writings if you're interested in history. And he couldn't understand why a nation like Germany would let a wild man like Hitler almost wreck the country, it really did let him wreck the country and almost the whole world. And this is the conclusion that Arnold Toynbee comes to as a historian. There must be a vein of original sin in human nature. Civilization is only a thin cake of custom over, overlying a molten mass of wickedness, always boiling up for an opportunity to burst out. Sounds like a preacher, not a historian. <clears throat> but we understand that, at least we should in, in the church. One of our doctrines is original sin, that we're programmed, that we are saturated to sin, to enjoy it, to live in it, uh, to accept it, to just kind of make it our way of life until we come to know Jesus. And uh, sometimes we're reminded of that in a variety of ways. We were surprised sometimes at the things we think. We think, oh, is that in me? I can't believe that. You know, we're driving down the road, Somebody pulls out in front of us that shouldn't have done that, and we think, oh, I wish I was driving a Mack truck. <clears throat> Sometimes our children misbehave when they're young, and we think, oh, I wish I had an anesthetic to give them, or I'll hit their head against a wall. We think, man, was I thinking that? Is that a part of my life? Would you see that? We, there's a thin veneer of respectability. Most of the time, we keep that under. But there is in all of us that possibility, the possibilities. And, then we, and we often kind of look in horror at ourselves that, that I would think that way or I'd have that kind of an attitude or a variety of things that come into our minds. There are three words I want to leave with you this morning for the sake of my, the compliments, why I try to keep these as simply words rather than detailed outlines. And the three words are accepting, avoiding, or abiding. In our text today, we have those who accepted the verdict that they needed to repent, to change their mind, that, that somehow that, that was the greatest need in their life. It's difficult for us to accept, you know, that I, by nature, am unclean. I can't do anything right by myself. <clears throat> we try to prove the Lord wrong often for years at a time. It's 
something like an alcoholic who has to get up and part of his therapy is to say to those who are there is my name is John Doe I am an alcoholic it's a very humbling thing but it's saying my life is unmanageable I can't handle it and a variety of other things but in a very real sense we need to be able to say I am John Doe I am a sinner I need to repent I need to change to accept our condition you see, nothing really changes till you accept that truth, that you need to change your mind. We often, you see, we think it's, we think it's our marriage, we think it's uh, something wrong with somebody else, and so we live in certain conditions and certain attitudes and think it's a part of, meant to be a part of our lives, and the problem is always out there. But it really is in here. Pogo says, I have met the enemy and he is me. You know, it's not the circumstances, it's not the Christmas season, it's not the weather, it's not my family or work or the economy or my childhood or my makeup, you see. I'm my own worst enemy. You can be sitting here this morning blaming your misery on your children or your marriage partner or wherever else, but in reality, nothing really changes in our lives till we begin to see, I have met the enemy and he is me. The other evening, we're out with coffee <clears throat> with another couple, and Miriam mentioned something that uh, irritated me at the long of an end day. Now, she doesn't do that very often, but once in a while, she does say something that irritates me. And uh, she knew, and I'm sure the other couple knew I was irritated, and I said, it's getting late, let's go home. I'm tired, see. Now, that was my cop-out, you know, that I'm tired. The problem, but as I got up to leave the restaurant, the Lord began, you know, in my spirit to say, hey, you know, your tiredness only surfaced your irritability, you, something you need to deal with in your life, to repent of, to change your mind about. You've got to quit blaming circumstances and your tiredness for something that I'm trying to deal with in your life. We say, oh, it's a Christmas season. You know, that's why I'm impatient and that's why I get uptight and that's why I'm filled with stress. It's a season. No, it's not the season. The season only surfaces in our lives the things that God wants us to repent of, to change our mind about, to, to take care of, you see. So we quit putting on band-aids and start to get to the real heart of our problems. We have a... Great concern. Uh, all, every week there's usually an article on AIDS and uh, the scare it is bringing. And certainly there needs to be a healthy respect and, uh, for the problem of it becoming an epidemic. And it is serious. It breaks down immunity. Hardly a week goes by. But if you read between the lines in the obituary, you can see someone who has died from it. They may put pneumonia or some other infection. But really you know that it's probably AIDS is the thing because it's broke down the immunity. They have no resistance against infection or anything else. Now we should have that same healthy respect for the destructive power of sin. To see that every day it too can come in to break down my immunity system, that I accept, if I accept its power I don't fight off evil. If I'm not living in repentance, I'm letting that sin just kind of erode away. So I'm becoming materialistic or a secularist or a, uh, someone who is living simply for pleasure or whatever else. 
uh, so I live in worry or despair or whatever. I, sin breaks down our immunity, you see, in terms of sin, in terms of the infections that infect our relationships in our marriage and in our lives. Sin has a great power. It's a poison. And so we need to have a healthy respect. As John the Baptist was telling the people the importance of accepting who they were so that they could be baptized for the forgiveness, so their hearts could be cleansed and they could be changed. It's not my father or my mother, sister or my brother, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And this morning you need to be honest about that need to understand if your life is going to turn around, it's not going to be because of circumstances or because of what others will becoming different in whatever way. But it's you facing your own need to change your mind about where you're living, what you're living in. The prodigal son is a beautiful picture of repentance. <clears throat> it says he came to himself then he said, I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him. He exercised his will to get out of the pig pen. He, didn't say, he saw that there could be a better place for him to live. I don't have to live here. Repentance is beginning to lead, realize that I don't have to come each Sunday and say, Lord, I am by nature sinful, unclean. I've sinned against you, thought, word, and deed, you know, and I blew it again, Lord, and I lost my cool and I... I, I lived in anxiety, or I lived in fear, or I lived in despair, or I lived in lust. I lived in my anger, and then go out and blow it again. We don't, he didn't come out of the pig pen to simply go right back in there the next morning. Repentance is recognizing the power of sin, but recognizing also that I can exercise my will, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that I can live not back in that place, wherever that is for you. I don't have to live there when I come to myself, when I understand what my inheritance, that I'm seated with Jesus in heavenly places. But there were those who we see avoided repentance, the Pharisees and the Sadducees who came, he said, bear fruit that befits repentance and do not presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, <clears throat> God is able to, from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Two people came to church, a Pharisee and a Republican. Republican. Freudian slip there. And the Pharisee went home the exact same way that he came. Because he was looking around and saw the publican. And the publican who said, God, you know, be merciful to me a sinner, who really understood his condition, he left change. This morning you will leave as a Pharisee or a publican. You will leave blaming someone else or something else for your condition. Because you cannot bear to faith that we are simply of the near of goodness that covers 
a sin-saturated life that would demand nothing less than the cross of Jesus. To avoid repentance is to become self-righteous. Because to live with yourself, then you've got to start looking at others. <clears throat> you've got to see others who by stand you look pretty good with. And so the Pharisees were trying to use their roots to avoid repentance. One of Larry Christensen's books, he talks about uh, that if we go to a newsstand and uh, you pick up a magazine today, you can get uh, you know, just about every, new, every magazine that you pick up. You look through the table of contents and it deals with some human problem and it offers some solution. Uh, it could be community, crime, uh, strife in the community, uh, family problems, personal insecurity. <clears throat> The solution could be a new diet, a new seminar, a new way of thinking, some kind of social readjustment. But it never gets to the basic problem. Because, you see, the Bible seems so simple. It diagnoses it with one word called sin. Our first need as human beings is not security or understanding or social adjustment or peace of mind or anything else. The need we have, which underlies every other need, is a solution to the problem of sin. Then he uses the illustration of someone who is trained in medicine at the University of Minnesota. He goes to some pagan tribe in a dark part of Africa. And here is a man who has a tight chest, fever, and uh, looks like he's about to die. And so the witch doctor comes and says, hey, we need to let out some blood because there's an evil spirit here that we need to work with. And somebody else comes and says, he lives too close to the forest. The forest gods are after him, so let's move his house away. His uh, mother comes and said he's married to the wrong wife, he's had no male children, and so we got to get rid of his wife. And everybody comes with their own theories till finally the doctor who has the truth comes and understands that the man simply has pneumonia. Because he knows the truth, he sets the man free. There are a lot of medicine men theories in old wives' tale going around in our day. He ends up, I saying, they have one great heir. <clears throat> like the natives in our illustration are looking for the cause of man's trouble somewhere outside of man. It's his environment or his family, or he's in the wrong job, or his parents didn't understand him, or society is too competitive, and on and on. The Bible brushes all of these diagnoses aside. Man is a sinner. He is a deadly spiritual sickness that must be dealt with, and then he get, will get well. You can change every one of his outer circumstances and it won't help one bit unless the problem of sin is dealt with at the very root. See, so you can go to every marriage seminar you can find, you can read every book on marriage, but never will your marriage really begin to change in any real way until you come to understand repentance and daily repentance, daily living in that searchlight. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Fulton Sheen, great Roman Catholic bishop who used to be on TV, the really unforgivable sin is the denial of sin because by its very nature there is now nothing to be forgiven. Floyd Ogilvie, in one of his meditations, entitled it, The One Sin God Can't Forgive. And that's the sin we refuse to confess.
can somehow look respectable, maybe most of the time. The thing is always boiling there, boiling there, ready for some place and time to overflow around other people, maybe at work or at church. So we get home behind our own doors and given the right conditions, suddenly the old comes through and we are shocked. So the final word is the word abiding. It says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who comes after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat in the grainy, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. That tells us that as we accept Jesus, he resurrects our will so that we can set our minds someplace else. The mind that's set on the flesh, it says in Romans, is death, but the mind that's set on the spirit is life and peace, and we have the mind of Christ. And so the power of the Holy Spirit is there to work repentance into us, to get us more and more uncomfortable with the pig pen, to see what evil is, to forsake it, and then and ultimately to confess it and to, to leave it. We don't go back in the morning to the pig pen. We don't continue in, continue in sin that grace may abound, as it says in Romans 6. So often, and I'm sure I've done that too, I say, well, that's the way I am. Who, you know, That's who I am. Don't expect me to change. That's my nature. Wait, I've always been, always been a worrier or a person filled with stress, and I'm an A-type personality, or I'm this temperament. I just, you've got to accept me the way I am. That's a coward's way out. It's to understand the power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit is to understand that the hope that Paul talks about in the epistle is that I can be changed. If the Holy Spirit is working in us, what are some signs? <clears throat> some signs are that we will be repenting 20, 30 times a day to really understand repentance. It's not a, you know, sometimes people think it's that one great big moment. There may be and should be that moment when I turn and turn away from sin and turn to God, but there's all, as Luther, who really had a real strong word on daily repentance, there should be 20, 30 times a day. I get in that traffic and I begin to get irritated and I should say, Lord, forgive me for my irritation. Bless him, Lord. Bless her, Lord. I don't have exactly the right meal that I want at noon instead of mumbling about this and that. As I remember this past week, I say, Lord, forgive me for mumbling when there are people who would be more than happy to eat what's set before me. And 20, 30 times a day, someone says something and it may strike me the wrong way and I begin the root of bitterness. And I say, Lord, forgive me. If you're alive, you see, to repentance is a 20 or 30 times a day kind of an experience where you're daily allowing the fire of the Holy Spirit to burn the chaff, to refine and to remold and to change. Another sign is that some of the things that you're spending less and less time in the pig pen, it doesn't mean that we don't go back there, but maybe if you used to lose your temper once a week, maybe now as you are growing, it's once a month. Daydreaming and fantasizing used to be a real big thing with me. And I, 
was one of those things that just seemed to hang on to me. And the Lord began to convict me. He showed me Hannah Hernard, who had the same problem. I didn't know anybody else had that problem. Hannah Hernard, who has written many Christian books, and she said that she saw that too for what it was and that it just drained life and depressed her. So that's something in the last couple of years, whenever it comes, and I, it, I do come back to it, but I don't spend as much time in a, in a pig pen anymore. I say, Lord, forgive me for focusing on this kind of drivel that has no redeeming value. Bring me back to reality. Let me focus on you and what you want. So it is with you. You may be, your problem may be worry, and it, but it should be less, you should be worrying less this month than you did last month or last year. If you understand repentance, you see, it means that the power of the Holy Spirit pricks us and convicts us and calls us and gives us the grace to get out of there. That's the lie from hell that we've accepted that I've got to live under this kind of condition. And I don't know what yours is, but every one of us have at least one. And as I say, in understanding repentance, we have many, many, because it's, it's progressive. He convicts us of one area, when we get victory there, he moves on. He's very loving. He doesn't show us our whole sinful being at once. We couldn't take it, but lovingly he surfaces those things. He says, now I want you to deal with complaining. Now I want you to deal with a criticizing spirit. Now I want you to deal with ingratitude. Now I want to deal with lack of boldness in your life. Now I want to deal with your wasted time watching too much TV. And on and on he goes. But lovingly he does it because he wants to free us. Repentance is confessing our longing to have everything right with him. What's another sign? If you're living in repentance, you're, you're going to be easier to live with because you won't be self-righteous. People will be attracted to you. There will be more humility. There will be less judgmental kind of attitude in your life because the more we're in touch with ourselves, we say, Lord, who am I, you know, to take the speck out of my brother's eye when there's a log in my own. We have peace and joy, which is, it says in Romans, is our inheritance. See, that's our inheritance, peace and joy. If you're not living in it, you see, then we're not living in repentance. But when we live in repentance, there's a sense of peace and joy because the Spirit is moving and working and wooing and freeing. You need to see it as a positive thing in our lives, that God is not just looking for something to come down on. He didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save us, to rescue us, to get us out of the pig pen out of those things that are holding us in bondage. Abiding in Him to know that freedom. A little illustration I close with came, comes out of World War II <coughs> where some uh, American soldiers were captured quite close to the beginning of the war and were in a prison camp on an island <coughs> Pacific and uh, MacArthur began to hopscotch islands and, and toward the end of the war and they were really moving and, and so they were about to invade this one island and the artillery started to shoot and they started to soften the island for the landing of the troops and uh, this prison camp, those who were guarding them, the Japanese guards started to hear the artillery and, and realized they saw the writing on the wall so they grabbed their possessions, 
opened the door of the prisons and took off. The people were free. The soldiers were free. But for 24 hours or more, they just sat there in their prisons, even though the doors were open. And when the American soldiers came there, then over 24 hours later, there they were. And they began to examine them and give them physicals and test their physical mental health. And the doctor said to one, didn't you know the door was open? Yes, sir, the soldier said. Well, White, did, didn't that open door present an opportunity for freedom? Yes, the soldier said, but we were afraid. See, we know where we are, even though we may be living in that pig pen. We at least know we're afraid, you see, sometimes of that freedom, of what will happen if I allow the Lord to deal with that in my life. How can I live without it? He's opened the door. Repentance is simply understanding that the freedom we have to come back to Him, to get out of our darkness, to get out of our prison. You see, it says you're a slave to sin or you're a slave to the Lord. You're either one or the other. <clears throat> what about you today? Are you afraid of it? Are you afraid to let the power are you afraid? Are you closing? Lloyd Ogilvy talks about fire doors. We put in fire doors and say, oh no, I'm not going to let the Holy Spirit into my business because there are some things there he's going to burn and refine and I'll have to be totally honest and it'll never go. Do you have any fire doors? You don't want the fire to come in. To burn and refine and take away the chaff of life. To make you rich. Turn your life around. The door is open. Jesus says, come. Come into freedom. Come into life. Don't live in the darkness. Don't live in the pig pen. Repentance is a change of mind about God, about us, about what we have. We can leave this morning as a publican, he's changed, as Jesus said, from top to bottom. But we can leave as a Pharisee saying, it's not me, it's her, it's him, it's that child, it's that job, it's Christmas. You and the Holy Spirit know what pig pen he wants to get you out of. To set you free. Maybe you've never known Jesus at all. Maybe today is your first time of repenting and saying, I can't do it. Maybe today is your first time out of the pig pen to come to a father who loves you and affirms you and wants to kill the fatted cat. He's here turn our lives around. Amen. Peace of God which passes all human understanding. Keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening in today. 
I don't know about you. I feel the conviction to continuously repent, yet I know it is not going to be easy. Though Pastor Lee's continuous reminder that God loves us is motivating and gives me the courage to press into it. I hope this sermon inspired you as well. We have a website coming soon and we'll have all the podcasts as well as other information. A special thank you to Lee G and to Spencer who has spent many hours putting each individual podcast together. A very big thank you. And a shout out to Anne-Marie and Hunter as well. We appreciate everyone's willingness to listen to these podcasts in spite of the less than optimal recording quality. Hang in there with us. We are working on ways to improve them every week. And we know once we move into the era of CD recordings, it will improve. These early sermons, though, are just too good to just to dismiss them because of poor recording quality. Hey, and if you come across any recordings of Pastor Lee's, feel free to reach out to me at mark at keepthemainthing.com. And until next time, may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.